Ladies and gentlemen, hello. It's been so long. I miss you all. <laughs> I am Pope. And it is 12 fucking 10 in the morning. It is our, oh, guys, look, I got a new watch. Look at my new watch. Isn't it fun cool? Very nice. All right. Anyway, <laughs> so it's 12 10. Uh, and of course, uh, I'm here hanging out with original Nick and Beth, the macabre pimpstress. And we're here for another episode of macabre masters, which, by the way, uh, we might actually have a new name for soon if it goes through all the approval and the paperwork and the, you know, the red tape. You guys know how it is. It's got a <laughs> chain of command we got to deal with. OK, but I just found out earlier that the big, big boss. All right. has <laughs> Has given the th the, 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 the approval on the new name that we're talking about, so we should be good. Uh, I am not referring to Satan. That is actually next up on the chain, but we're good to go there. So, guys, uh, today we're talking about Pan's Labyrinth, but before we get into that, how you doing? Extremely tired. Extremely tired, but really happy to be here, honestly. Uh, great to make a sacrifice for the listeners. Mm. We do like, it all for the listeners, really. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of like, you know, it's... You know, it's like if Jesus came down to earth and he said, okay, look, you can uh, have one of the stigmatas or you can get up really fucking late to record your podcast. It's one or the other. Christ right now is looking down on us and he's like, guys, I don't even know if I do that. Like fucking I'll die on the cross, but get up to record a podcast. Jesus. I'm not sure. I am not. To be clear, that's sure. how I do it. Like on the days where I have no motivation, that's literally what I tell myself. Like you could have the stigmata right now. You should just <laughs> do the podcast. Get up, bitch. Like grab your microphone, put your big girl panties on, and speak into a microphone. Speak to <laughs> yeah, for right. people who really like. <laughs> ah, I hate that phrase so much. <laughs> what phrase? It's a long story. Speak into oh. the mic. Oh. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm you not got, a fan. You guys are so, lucky that you got me in this phase of my life. I'm much more mature now. When I was younger, <laughs> like stigmata talking about it, not the movie, but the actual the actual uh, act of having a stigmata, in, including Jesus himself, was always accompanied by at least one masturbation joke. But I refrained. Oh, what the? <laughs> I refrained. <laughs> Jesus was a virgin, man. I mean, Jesus Christ. Anyway, come on, work with me. Um, Nick is Nick, guys. You got to remember, Nick is a sweet summer child. Right? <laughs> we are He's corrupting sweet, sweet him summer. with every minute of every recording. He is a sweet summer child. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> sometimes I forget that, uh, but that's okay. So, um, with that said, today the subject is, of course, Pan's Labyrinth. Now, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Pan's Labyrinth is a movie. Uh, a Spanish movie directed by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, it is a fantasy movie. It is a dark fantasy movie that explores a lot of different themes, but it kind of runs along almost an Alice in Wonderland kind of track. You got a lonely girl who she's, uh, in the case of this movie, she's uh, it's during like the Spanish Civil War, like right after. Like I think it's like at the tail end of the Spanish Civil War. Or did it take place in World War II? I'm not sure. I don't know. I believe it was World War II. Uh, it always is. Well, because yeah, it, so. it was one of the World Wars. Um, I'm trying to remember just based off of the uniforms. I think it was World War II, but I don't remember seeing specifically like Nazi Rick. You know, that's what like, I think it was listed right. around there. 
So no, we'll, I think it was actually World War One. I think yeah, I think it was the Great War because what happened was when they were in the cave and they were talking about um, the Americans, they were talking about I think that they just landed at Normandy, right? Yeah, that's World War Two, yeah. So it's or was it Gallipoli? No. Let me just IMDb it. Well, it says nineteen forty four. So nineteen forty four. Yeah, that's World War Two. Yeah. Shit, I need to get up on my World War history. I'm kind of sucking at that. There's um, a crash course for that. Hell yeah. Um, so they uh, basically, the what's happening is the Spanish government is basically trying to stomp out the last of a rebellion against the government. And um, they send out this dude, he's known as the Wolf, to kind of take them down. It's this girl's uh, father by marriage or and uh but what happens is that uh he's a real bad human he's a real bad person and so uh she basically runs into a fairy she reads a lot of books and believes in fairy tales and believes in fairies she runs into a fairy they take her down to a labyrinth she meets a fawn he gives her a mission she goes on a hero's journey and then a bunch of stuff happens and so um what it comes down to is that uh, it was a, a lot of commentary by Guillermo de Guillermo del Toro on not only war, but actually interestingly on Catholicism, which even knowing that I couldn't find the context in the movie, even knowing that. And so um, it's a beautiful movie is used universally loved. And there was a novelization made of it, which went more in detail that I actually liked more than the movie. Although I will say that the visuals for the movie are absolutely fucking haunting like everybody thinks about the pale guy mitch mcconnell with his fucking eyes you know like this that's really cool <laughs> he looks at guys do put a picture of mitch mcconnell next to the pale dude and tell me it's not the same fucking guy okay tell me it is it even is. in 2006 really although i think he looks more like a turtle he kind of does he kind of looks like a the the master disguise a little bit I'm not turtly <laughs> enough for the turtle club. Um, turtle, 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 turtle. Yeah, exactly. So, but um, but the fawn himself, like uh, when I got a good look at him on my second watch through, the fawn himself is just like he's the way he's constructed, and most of the effects yeah. were practical too. Um, he was just so beautifully made, and um, his uh his like mannerisms and stuff for being, you know, and all that makeup and stuff, his mannerisms and kind of how he talks with his hands and kind of all that stuff. And he's all creaky and shit. Cause he's been, you know, sitting there for so long or whatever. Like it's, it's just, it's beautiful guys. Yeah. If you've never seen Pan's Labyrinth, stop listening to this, put it on pause. <laughs> right. And now. go actually yeah, watch yeah, yeah. Pause it. <laughs> Cause most of the, most of the movies, like I feel like you can listen to the podcast and get a good idea of it. There's no way for us to get across the Ever. sheer beauty of this movie yeah. and it's the like sheer trying brutality. To explain a sunset on the ocean. Yes, over the I was literally thinking about. Oh, sorry. Oh no, no, you're good. Go ahead. No, I was literally thinking that is the perfect word to describe. Uh, whatever his name was. Hold on, I had his name. Uh, Vidal. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was El Capitan. Yeah, that was the perfect word to describe him. Was brutal. That's my favorite. I, it sounds bad, but that's like a very great introductory scene is where he beats someone's face in with a bottle. 
just because they're out there hunting rabbits. And he just, he and just like killed beats them. it in. Like, yeah, yeah, there man. was not yeah. like, let me just punch you in the face. He's, He's like, like, no, let me like boy. break your nose into your brain. He, he literally great. Doug Jones. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. that's another thing too about this that I thought was really special was that like most m- movies that are oriented around the idea of childhood, um, finding magical worlds and stuff like that. Those are always kids movies. Right. And so the Guillermo del Toro, like he, he didn't flinch. Like <laughs> it's really a brutal fucking movie. There's a lot of very brutal violence. There's some stuff they flinch away from that I think is fair. Like for example, they didn't have the full torture scene of that one soldier on there. It kind of showed after. Um, I yeah. will also say the novelization was a youth novelization. And even that went into full descriptions. The only thing they changed, and I thought this was a really brave move on their part. The only thing they changed is they took the word fuck out. So in the part where the dude's like, haven't you thought that your child might be a son? And then the wolf says, don't fuck with me. Instead, in the yeah. book, he says, get out of my sight. Right. But yeah, that's a little, yeah. aside from that, they kept everything else. And um. So, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, Captain Crunch is a total <laughs> fucking asshole. And I don't know, man. So, they, so one thing that, I, one thing about the movie that I liked and didn't like at the same time, um, well, I guess, I guess we should give, like, kind of the plot, the basic plot. I kind of started and then stopped. Uh, Nick, you want to give I the plot? It, yeah. Or Beth, you want to give the plot? Like, kind of just like the sequence of events. Go watch it if you haven't seen it yet and then come back. <laughs> um. So uh, what did, where did you leave off? You left off like where the mother and daughter <laughs> go to live with the father, the very right? Beginning. Like, at the very yeah. beginning. So um, the little girl is basically, she is like right on the edge of puberty, right? So her mother is like telling her she needs to grow up. She needs to stop believing in fairy tales. Um, the mother already knows that her new husband's kind of a dick, right? Because he doesn't treat her daughter very well. Um, and the girl fantasizes about being like something special. Like all little girls want to grow up and be a princess, right? Like it, it, it's a normal thing. Well, so she starts seeing like these magic things kind of happening around her. She meets, like he said, the fawn. Um, and uh he kind of gives her these magic tools and tells her how to find these different magic things to happen to her to help her mother get better because her and the baby that she's pregnant with are sick um and she takes the mandrake root right and puts it under the bed which is a a, an old wives tale for a healthy pregnancy that's actually some of that was actually actually based in real lore um folklore and folk medicine and stuff um, and like the milk with the the root under the bed specifically, so those those there are actual spells you can trace back that are like that. Um, uh, and she sees that her mother is there, and she's just really trying to be a good daughter. And he ends up trying to pull her away. She ends up going and seeing the fawn, who tells her that she has to go on this like little mission where she crawls into the chalk door that opens. Right, she draws a door in chalk and then goes into it and that's where she goes through the little tunnel to get to the the guy with the hands and the eyeballs and she's supposed to what it's not eat any of the fruit at the table right like there's this giant feast out laid in front of him and all the fairies are sitting there like trying to help her on her mission to grab what she's supposed to grab i can't ever remember what she's supposed to grab she's grabbing Um, a dagger that's what it was right thank you and she's not supposed to touch any of this giant huge like beautiful feast at the table 
Um, and as she reaches for it, the fairies are trying to pull her back. And this is probably one of my favorite scenes because it is so intricately done the way the fairies look and their faces. And like, they're not just like haphazard, like these fairies aren't necessarily pretty, but they are. And they are very intent on helping her not fail her mission. Um, and she does. And then the guy is like all chasing after her and she ends up hurting one of the fairies. Right. Or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so well, she no he he, was, he, he eats the very he, he eats, eats two of the very that's right that's right three sisters so she has to um she has to go back to the fawn and tell her like what's happened and the fairy like all whispers in his ear and snitches on her and he is like what and freaks out you know um and at the same time like outside of her fairy world and outside of what's going on with her mom we have the uh like maid of the house the nursemaid or not really the nursemaid but like the servant woman of the house who is also working for the local rebels and helping them to get medicine and food and stuff like that underneath the captain crunch's nose right so there's all this suspicion about like what's going on how are all of these things kind of happening who's to blame who has all this inside information um obviously his wife and daughter are the first people to come back you know, to his that he hasn't already had with him. So it, they're already kind of under suspicion just under the guise of guys like Captain Crunch and how they sort of think, you know, everybody's a suspect because you're not paranoid if they're really after you, right? Um, and so we see a lot of sort of really poignant topics um, as far as... Uh, like who is good and evil what does good and evil look like in this current time period i love that it's a period piece honestly and i really love that they kept it in spanish and not in english i think it would not have been as beautiful if it had been in english versus in spanish personally um so but like all of these things are happening at the same time that this little girl is living in her little magic fairy realm and trying to figure out um what the different magic around her is and, and and how to get out of this place she doesn't want to be in, how to rescue her mother. Like she has very few people that are kind to her in this new place, you know, which makes it even harder to get out of that fairy sort of mindset. Um, would you say I left anything out as far as like what most of it's about without giving away the ending so far? I think you got the gist of it. Yeah. Um, the, I think that th the thing that really is, important about it is that they basically the whole time this girl is being told that um magic doesn't exist and that all that stuff's fake and one thing that the movie does that's really interesting and honestly it's one of my least favorite things about the movie even though i really like it <clears throat> in the movie they never definitively say whether um what she saw was real whether the fawn and the fairies and the pale man and all that stuff was actually uh, it exact it existed or if it was just a very lonely girl with an overactive imagination trying to cope with a world that she didn't understand and um sure. and so to give away the ending guys last fucking spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yeah. go watch it <laughs> uh, at the end girl straight up dies. Like she gets shot by Captain Crunch, and um, because that dude's fucking cold is he's cold as a block of ice that's been fucking in the middle of the Arctic for six years. Like he's cold. Um, and she dies, 
but it implies that she made it to kind of her destiny as the like princess of this fairy world, but she's dead. And so, <clears throat> um, but the <clears throat> funny thing is, is that, um, in the book, it actually doesn't have that kind of, um, distinction in the book. It is all absolutely real. And I guess in hindsight, after reading the book, one thing that I guess about the movie I think is not fair to the to the viewer is that the um, the movie does not tell you where the dagger came from. It does not tell you where the key came from. It does not tell you who the pale mm, man is. Yeah. It does not tell you why. Like it doesn't give any emotional depth whatsoever to what the wolf is doing, uh, Captain Crunch. It doesn't it doesn't give you any of that. It's just kind of you take it at face value. And um, it turns out that the, the Captain Crunch actually has a pretty deep story. And um, he's still fucked up and he's still an asshole. But he's also like deeply, deeply, deeply insecure and deeply um, disturbed by the way he was raised. And um, so that was one thing like after doing that. But. If you're just gonna watch the movie, you're fine because it's like you you see enough, but you do are. So, do they elaborate the more into like the backstory of the fairy tale part of it at all in the book? Yes. So, so the like way you actually get to find out more about who the fawn is and like all the other characters because that I always struggled with that. So, it's actually one of the reasons why that movie did not do so great. Like in 2006, um, it was kind of regarded as not a great movie and it kind of bombed because a lot of people felt like it was an incomplete story like we did not it get was. a whole lot of information and i would agree with that and like i felt really kind of curious because the fawn like really tricked her like the whole time and like i know they're known for that like in lore but like he all of a sudden it's what a twist and you sacrificed yourself for an innocent and that's all we wanted you to do in the first place and that had nothing to fucking do with any of the rest of the storyline in the movie right so um so i was always mad about that sorry like i saw this when i was pregnant and i was really emotional about it then and like that just kind of came out now i apologize <laughs> so like when i first saw it, i was like, pregnant <laughs> with my first in the theater and i was like what one of the things that actually triggered the the events of the entire pan's labyrinth situation believe it or not not even mm. mentioned now it could have been written retroactively basically after the movie came out and they went in and filled in the backstory for the novel. So do keep that in mind, but I sure. don't think that's the case. I think that they had a much fuller movie planned and worked with what they had. So, um, because a lot of times those novelizations go yeah. off the script. So, um, the, the original thing that caused it to happen was actually the drowning of a witch, right? It was one of the first things that caused everything to happen. And um, the drowning of the witch just led to this whole chain of events that caused the intermingling between um, she was a she was essentially not a prophet. I guess she was a prophet in a little ways, but um, she was like a like a cunning woman like Beth. We were talking about before is what she was. And so when um, there was like kind of an inquisition, she got drowned and um, she had directed somebody to build the labyrinth which became a gateway to this other world. So the book never even really goes into why the fawn acts the way he does because he's completely legit in the book, completely legit. He exists. He is helpful. He is a, he is a hard person to work for. 
uh, a lot of the other characters are actually his uh, um, em- not employees, but his uh, kind of minions. Minions, yeah. And so, um, but he is the real deal, and he is trying to get a mission accomplished. But why he had to use the subversion and stuff, and why he just seems so sneaky. Uh, that is something that even the book didn't answer because he does seem so fucking sneaky. Like he, he, you know, he's just, it's just like the whole yeah. time you suspect this dude. Like you're like, there's no way. Even the woman, uh, the rebel woman, she says like, my mom told me growing up, don't trust Fonz. And that's, I mean, you're like, yeah, don't trust him. That dude, cray, that dude, cray cray. He trying to get you in there with Mitch McConnell. Okay. I'm just saying, like, if you read Card, if you've read Chronicles of Narnia, <laughs> then you know not to trust Fonz, right? Like we know this. The you know the interesting thing is that um it's called True. Pan's Labyrinth in the American the English version, but um the Fawn is not Pan by any stretch of the imagination. They I think they did it. I think it was kind of a concession to like trying to put some like name recognition on it, because uh, sure. the Fawn is most certainly fucking not Pan. Um, which is kind of ridiculous. Uh, in in Spanish, it's seriously called like the Fawn's Labyrinth. Like it is not called Pan's Labyrinth in Spanish. So, um, they're just one like thing- your white people try to remember this piece of legend right here, real quick. Right, <laughs> you know. Um, one thing that's really interesting is that um, so the movie is in Spanish. There is no English version. The stubbed, and that's as Beth said, for the better. But uh, one really great thing about it is the subtitles. Oh, yeah. The subtitles are actually written by Guillermo del Toro himself. Um, on a previous movie, he got super fucking angry at the subtitles because they were just so shit that he was like, fuck that. I'm going to go in and do this. And he sat down and wrote the subtitles. And so I think that's why a lot of the subtitles are actually um, it's written very beautifully and written very well um, because of that reason, because he actually took that personal investment of time in order to go do it. So um, word up to him for sitting down and taking care of that because, you know, uh, us American people that can't speak Spanish, you know, yeah, very helpful. That And I think I think it actually gets off the, you know, there's always artist intent. Well, if the artist does the whole process, I think you could see the intent right there. Like, And he does speak English as right. well, so he's bilingual. So he doesn't have to send it off to a localized uh localization team or anything he just did it himself so he's not going to be like oh they messed up that word and every time i see it flash up on screen i'm gonna be really pissed off about it so (laughs) so one thing that i learned in my research about the film is that it um it had a lot of subcontext like listen guys you know how i am with religion i'm super harshly critical of it and i i like i i asked for a lot of things i asked for accountability i asked for a lot of different things and so, like, I'm ready. I'm ready to jump on that. But here's the thing. Um, one of the contexts of the movie was that it was an anti-Catholic movie. But it was so obscured that some Catholic people actually thought it was a pro-Catholic movie. True story. And so I wanted to ask you guys. So, like, for example, the scene with the pale man was an analogy, actually, for priests that prey on children. And so the analogy was he has this beautiful feast in front of him but the only thing he wants to do is prey on children right so um it was in the book it wasn't in the movie but the pale man actually was a child murderer and he was a little bit like a uh, 
uh, fucking goddamn it, oh, uh, 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 Wendigo, right? Uh, like he, yeah, like he started out human, uh-huh. and then like he killed so many children that he became what he is. He transformed, but. Um, so that was a direct analogy, but I watching the movie, knowing that for a fact, I didn't see it. Like I just saw a really fucked up no. guy that looks like a turtle <clears throat> that was really, really fucking rude. Okay. And had, and then uh, had eyes in his hands. And eight fairies like gross. And, yeah. Like seriously, who even does that? Yeah. I think, I mean, I mean, you got ancient stories of old Older people killing, eating, and doing other terrible things to children. I mean, you got uh, Hansel and Gretel, all of the old Grimm's brothers. They're all, I'm supposing, under 18, like Rapunzel and Little Mermaid and all them. Uh, then you have The Witch, a movie that came out. Wait, when did The Witch it, come out? Yeah, that came out after. The Witch is much newer than Panzer. Okay, okay. I mean, but still, you have stories of witches taking little children. Um, ancient stories so i i just thought it was just another version of some ancient being some ancient creature some bedtime story that in this world people right. tell their kids don't don't eat at the table of a creepy well in the universe like shirt. the pell man was a local legend it was like hey like stay away from this dude. Yeah. he kills kids so he's kind of like freddy krueger in a way um and so, uh, yeah, no, that definitely, I mean, that fits better than the religious things, in my opinion, like the folklore thing. I would agree. Beth? No, I would totally agree. Like, um, and I see a lot of like different other story, like, like classic story representation too. like the way that the little girl died is very like Hans Christian Anderson with the little match girl, sort of like she has all this fantasy. And then once the last match goes out or once the last trauma that she receives is inflicted, like she gets to go live in her fantasy world when she dies. Right. Um, so I don't know. I would have never made that direct correlation as far as the catholic church the only thing i could really even see when you said that earlier was like the fact that it does take place in this um very strong roman catholic environment in in spain in the early 1900s like and seeing how like maybe um the idea of like the military versus rebel forces kind of thing or something like that um but like no otherwise uh the only thing i could see that would be sort of an affront to Catholicism would be the witchcraft part of it itself. Like just intrinsically, you know, I could see how that would put people off. Um, But no, like I would have never taken specifically that one scene as being the thing that was it, right? Like that, that's where our big F you to the church. Like it just didn't come off that way at all. Even slightly, in my opinion, even looking for it. You know, um, so I guess what that means is uh, it's just a lesson. Remember, guys, that the director and the people who make a movie might have a certain interpretation, but really it's up to you to interpret it the way you will. Um, and I, think I would this is say Del Toro's known for that, too, though. Honestly, like if you've seen any of his other movies, like I would say that he is very um, artistic in the way that he gets disgruntled. I would love to see Guillermo Del Toro do like a King James movie you know and just see how he goes after that <laughs> yeah but it would probably be about it probably be about like the 19 it would 
You know what? It would probably be about like the 1930s or something. It'd be like Greasers, you know, like James Dean, like <laughs> fucking Rebel Without a Cause. And it's like, it's like, you know, he gets in a situation where he has to go out to sea and like find himself at sea. And then Guillermo del Toro's, this is commentary on, uh, on, on when King James, you know, discovered that he hated witchcraft. And it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> There's a, a blue filter oh, over the whole movie. <laughs> shows up. So, Dude, Guillermo um, del Toro's a genius. I don't care what anybody Doug says. Doug Jones plays. He's a flat-out genius. Yeah. I've watched a couple of his other movies Doug recently. Jones plays I watched the, the new Pinocchio, which was really good. And I watched Crimson Peaks for the second or third time. I highly recommend Crimson Peaks. It's very cheesy. Um, totally thought it was a book. It was not. It was something that he took from some of his own personal experience in life and turned into a very strange horror movie. Um, but it was done really well. It's got Charlie Hunnam in it from Sons of Anarchy, and it's got right. Tom Hiddleston in it as like the lead character, you know, oh, Loki. Yeah. yeah, and it was so good. Like it's done really, 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 really well. And I really did think that it was a dr- dramatization of a novelization. Like it was done like a book should read in a movie is the best way I can put it. Right. Um, but he even said like it was a lot of his own kind of twisted horror, but he is known for having this like really visually moving and very true to his own vision, um, uh, articulation in the way he creates his set and his costume and how he styles his characters, the animation. Like, I, I don't think there's a Guillermo, 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 Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> movie or um anything i've seen of his that i didn't like i think uh it's actually some of my favorite tarot cards that i have like in my wish list too is the guillermo del toro tarot which is really cool because it takes characters out of his different stuff and some other abstract things and puts them into tarot decks which is really nice that's kind of fucking sick i didn't know that was a thing okay yeah i wonder yeah, i wonder what I card the so font is um so uh and is uh is so listen if there's not a uh if there's not a uh dolce leche card or whatever fucking <laughs> La fresca. Fres- leche fresca fresca <laughs> leche, leche fresca, fresca. Leche. if there's and not Captain a leche Crunch. fresca card it doesn't count <laughs> um okay so uh guys uh, i wanted to ask you uh we're going to try to keep this episode a little bit shorter um just uh for tech reasons but I did want to ask you guys real quick, what was your favorite scene from the film? And overall, did you like it? Like, did you think it was good? Like, uh, you know, like what left kind of the, an impression on you, if anything? I think I was really lucky in getting to see it in theater, um, even watching it like on the 4K TV with like an ultra high definition. Like it just doesn't do it the same justice. Um, of beauty and of capturing you into this world um, as seeing it on the big screen did for me. I will also say like I have watched the movie probably a dozen times now even though there were holes in the plot that I seriously even from the very first time I saw it like I really struggled with. um, It's really hard not to like it even when you don't necessarily understand all of it, just because it's so visually moving the scene where he slices his face open or stitches his face back up, like all of everything. There isn't a scene in the movie that isn't done to perfection from every camera angle and lighting and 
just all of it the the whole thing was so beautiful and you really just fall into it like especially when you get to see it in a bigger screen format and see all of the detail that was put into creating this really um inspiring sort of world that that is he shows both the ugly side of reality and the beautiful side of all of this fantasticalness you know in such a way that it's like poetry Very much so. Hmm. Nick? I think I think um, I love the movie, but I went in with the... As soon as I started seeing that it was fantasy, I love fantasy. I have so many fantasy books. That's all I have now. I'm about to get rid of all the other ones. So I went into the mindset of, this is real. I didn't have uh, questions of if she did or didn't. Like We watched the movie and Sarah goes, so did she actually make it there? And I was like, yeah, she 1000% died and she is the princess of this world. Um, so I had no reservations about that. And then we had a cute little conversation of like, what is high fantasy, low fantasy, urban fantasy. It was fun. So we All talked right, about, let me like, break this, this down fantasy. real quick. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, no, like, yeah, I yeah. respect that though. Like I appreciate it was awesome. that. Yeah. Yeah, we were just talking about it. it's like so she loved it too. Um so we watched it together. Um but yeah, I love the movie. There's not a single scene that I didn't enjoy as Beth said. It's visually stunning. It's beautiful, fantastic. Um Yeah, I I like the interpretation of fairies as being little bugs at first. They're like <laughs> like I've never dance, seen right? a fairy like being little bugs. Bug. Yeah, There's yeah. There's actually There's yeah, actually some backstory behind it. that. So the thing is is that the fairies uh, what they did was they started out as bugs because that was the form that they had taken on Earth when they, their job along with the fawns was to find the princess. That's why they were on Earth. That's why they were here, and they had been searching for centuries. And so what happened was when the princess, this the, uh, Ophelia, when she saw him and showed her that picture of what a fairy looks like, the fairy decided that everything would go easier if she fit the picture of what Ophelia thought a fairy should look like. So it wasn't her true form. It was a form that she took in order to make herself more comforting in appearance to Ophelia. So that's what happened. The fairies were actually incredibly intelligent. And uh, the movie kind of gets set across, um, but uh, because they can't really speak English, they use a lot of like sign language and stuff like that. But yes, that is how that is why that happened. The movie didn't really explain it. It was just kind of like a praying mantis turned into a fairy. And you're just kind of like, that was a very cool scene. But, huh? <laughs> you know? Uh, but that's the backstory. She, they did it to help her, basically, along her journey. That makes sense. Once again, might be retroactively. Might be retconned. Yeah. Not sure. Sure. I don't know. You made me, you made me want to get the book now. That, the book's We've fabulous. been doing that a lot lately. By uh, watching a movie and then seeing novelizations or the book that it's uh, based on. Well, the Pan's Labyrinth book yeah. came a few years after the movie, um, but it's um, mm. it's fabulous. It's great. The only reason I would not recommend reading the book over watching the movie is because of how visually stunning the movie is. Right, like when you see the fawn for the first yeah. time, it's just like it's practical. You know, it's a dude actually in that yeah. in, in in that outfit. And the pale man is practical, and you're just like, he's, whoa, you know, because movies don't do that; it's CGI. But he's also a very, 
he's a very famous body actor. I love him. As soon as he showed up on screen, Sarah goes, that's that body actor guy you like so much. And I was like, yeah, that's Doug Jones right there. (laughs) He also played... yeah, the was he the Paul man? Um, he if you if you watch Hellboy, if you watch him, he was Pan. Um, oh, he was the Fawn okay. or the Fawn. So if you watch Hellboy, if you watch Hellboy, he's uh, Abe, uh, the the blue guy. Um, and he's just in, he's just in everything. If you ever watch a Star Wars or a Star Trek circus. movie, he's it's always uh. Mm-mm. No, it's uh Doug oh. Jones. Uh, he showed up in The Guild. I don't know if you like The Guild. He's in season five. Because Andy Serkis That's is the season. other like ultra famous know. guy who does like the kind of body acting and stuff like. He was, of course, Gollum is kind of what a lot of people know him for. So, um, yeah. Um, so yeah. I think uh, I think maybe the big takeaway from this is that like, uh. There are, it's interesting because there's limitations to movies and we often forget about them. You know what I mean? But there's also limitations to books and we often forget about them. And so Pan's Labyrinth is an excellent example of both, like the limitations of both. The book does not get across how the fawn looks. It does not get across the pale man. It, it just doesn't. It's nothing. It's like Jurassic Park. If you read the book, it's awesome, and it's my favorite book, but it does not tell you the majesty of seeing that fucking T-Rex step out for the first time. Like, it just doesn't get it across. But then the movie misses out on a lot of the cool context that's in the book. So um, Pan's Labyrinth is great. Um, as Beth mentioned before, it uh, wasn't as well-received as maybe probably they would have liked when it came out, but that is because it really is only half a story. Uh, the movie completely lacked... Like, why the dagger? Where did the dagger come from? How did it exist? Why does this dude keep pulling out this broken fucking watch? They get, they devoted one line to it at the dinner party. I heard that you have a I heard that you have a watch that your father bashed on a rock when he died, so you knew the exact time that he died. And like, there's this whole backstory behind that, and like, they barely glossed over it. And it's like so important to this dude's ego that his kid knows who he is, when he died, and all this stuff. And so when they killed him at the end, spoiler alert, Captain Crunch dies at the end. Um, the uh, He's killed by the Trix Bunny, actually. But uh, the thing is, is that uh, when he dies, you are cheering because he's such an asshole, and you hate him. But the reason you should be cheering is because everything he ever wanted got taken away from him in that moment and you barely know it in the movie yeah um the significance is kind of lost in translation uh and not in the spanish to english but just the just the script to movie translation so uh go watch it enjoy the special effects okay especially the fucking fawn because i didn't say my favorite part but when the fawn comes out and he's like he's like i've been known as many names Hey, they call me Pan. They call me Dude. They call me Paul. You know, and he's like doing all the fucking weird, and he's like real cracky because he's been sitting there for so mm. long. And he's like all crackly and shit, dude. I'm sorry, that shit was top tier. I like that. It's, it's creepy and beautiful and cool and just disconcerting, and you don't trust them automatically. And uh, he just did a fucking war. like they just they knocked it out of the park with those effects. Uh, the girl who played Ophelia was mm. absolutely fabulous. The guy who played the wolf, 
was fabulous. Uh, he did a great job making you just hate his guts from the moment you see him. Um, and then later on when he gets yeah. half of a Glasgow smile, uh, it's just like, all right, fuck that guy. When he yells, he's like, get on. It's like his cheek is like hanging open. You're like, oh, shit. Want to know how I got these scars? You know what I mean? Um, that uh, yeah. the uh, the woman who was helping the rebels, she kind of had a, like a uh, like a girl boss moment. You know what I mean? And I'm into it because he was a rampant sexist like a rampant like the girl like the girl did not matter to him he she matters so little to him that he basically just shot her out of hand he's just basically like, um the mother also didn't mean anything it was basically just she was an incubator and um you know what interested me is he went through all of this shit just to have his son but the weird thing is is like Let's be real here. If it didn't work out, like if she lost the pregnancy or something, that would be tragic and that would suck. Um, for more for the mother than for him because he's such a fucking douche. But he could knock somebody else up and yeah. just have another kid, right? Like I see, he went out of his way and put his life in danger in order to have a son, and and so much so that he put the mother's life in danger and directly basically contributed to her death for it. Yeah, a lot of people die in this movie, guys. Uh, and they do not die prettily. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. The, the wolf, he's a complex character, but that's one of my beasts with the movie is they did not get across any of that complexity. He was like Voldemort. He was like, he was just like, he's evil. You hate him. Yeah. He's going to die at the end, guys. Just cheer when he dies. Put down the popcorn and go watch something else. But there's so much complexity behind his story and um, he's still an asshole and you still hate him, but you at least have a reason to, you know, in the movie, it's just like, Oh, he's a misogynist yeah. pick, you know? Um, anyway, so. He could have been a Cersei Lannister. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Cersei Lannister is another one that I think that the TV series didn't actually get across her story well enough personally. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, Cersei, wow. she's deeply complex. Uh, which is saying a lot for George R. R. Martin because George R. R. Martin basically writes women yeah, as sex yeah. objects. Um, but for some reason with Cersei, he found a way to actually True. make it kind of make sense. Um, but with that said, uh, guys, overall, do you recommend this movie? Should our should our, our audience who trust our opinions oh. with their fucking entire heart <laughs> and fucking soul, should they go see this movie? Should they spend their $3 on Amazon Prime to rent it or their $12 to buy it in standard uh, definition? You can get it for $8 on Voodoo. Or, ooh, competition. That, or here's what I'm about to do. And I already told Sarah, I'm going to buy ooh. the Blu-ray version of the movie because I want to watch it over and over again in beautiful, crispy <laughs> images of my face that was beautiful i'm absolutely i think you have to watch i think you have to watch it in order to watch the rest of the uh watch the rest of the that's show that's the leche you know? fresca edition every episode you have to, <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> enter a uh, password every time we upload a new video deleted the plans whatever i would say everyone should watch it i mean it's really good i i mean you know me i watch horror movies with my kids and my kids have watched it with me a couple of different times and as they get a little older each time and don't get bored with the subtitles you know they'll watch it um i would say eight out of ten like there are definitely some holes in the plot that you don't get across through the movie um 
and if that bothers you maybe don't watch it like if you can't handle not having that cohesive full story then you know that might not be for you but otherwise like just to appreciate even the one time to watch it the artistic piece that it is and how much real skill and talent went into creating these beautiful images like you absolutely should like it, it's a piece of artistry for sure you know um wife wouldn't watch it with me really i asked her to yeah she had seen it before and hmm. the the scene with the bottle actually uh the scene with the bottle she just refused she was like the I'm opening scene that. she can't yeah that's fair yeah, she just like mm, yeah. body horror like really fucks with her, and so like uh, that scene in particular like disturbed her so bad when she saw it that she just won't watch it again, which is a shame because like the rest of the movie is so worth watching. I mean that part's worth watching because ultimately it turns out that the Captain Crunch yeah. was wrong and he shouldn't have done it. He didn't give a fuck. He's basically like, oh well, I'm gonna take the rabbit and cook it up now. Uh, you know these two people that I just killed for no reason. What a fucking ass hat. Anyway. All right, so uh, guys, that's Pan's Labyrinth. Um, you should go watch it. Like, go watch it. Hey, um, and when you leave us a five star review on whatever service you're listening on, make sure that uh, you, uh, if you find any religious subtext, let us know because we apparently missed it. Um, but yeah. if you find it, let us know along with a five star review. Uh, it will not count, and it's automatically wrong if it's less than five stars. So, with that said, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with that said uh thanks for listening to this episode of macabre masters you guys are fucking awesome um be well be real uh next week or whenever we come back we'll be back with whatever we talk about uh as always we have not talked about it yet so i'll let you know when the time comes which is when it comes out okay so <laughs> have a Sometimes. good one guys be well <laughs> we <Later>. love you <laughs> goodbye <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.